Welcome back to the Bannerman. This is episode two. We made it, Vardy. We made it to two. We did it. We did it. And people actually listened. And people Sillies. thought we were going to stop at one, but joke's on you. We made it to two. We thank you and we apologize at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Now you're stuck with us is basically what Vardy's trying to say. You're hooked. Busy week in the NHL. Not so much for the Kings, but uh, we could start with the expansion draft where everyone was involved. No avoiding that one. And... Much like everyone, including us, kind of projected, it was Braden McNabb going from the Kings to the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you can look back at the Kings roster from last season, and for a long period of time, it was without Braden McNabb, which kind of forced guys like Paul Ledoux, uh, Kevin Gravel. I think Forbert was pretty much a lock for the for the lineup anyway. But with McNabb being out, I think that primarily brought Gravel in and then later on Ledoux and it gave him a chance to play. And which in some ways is kind of sad because it, it kind of shows you the, how far down Braden McNabb had fallen on the team's overall depth chart where a rookie from, you know, almost like straight from college in the, in the form of Ledoux could come in. And granted, he has he has a pretty high ceiling, but between him and Gravel coming in. And playing essentially bottom pairing minutes, it everyone was just like, "That's okay, <laughs> he can go to Vegas. That's fine. We'll be fine without him." Which kind of sucks, I guess, because when he came in, there was a lot of fanfare about you know he's going to be one of these kind of sleeper guys that Dean and the guys had found, and they were going to groom him and undo some of the mistakes he had picked up in his Buffalo training. And I don't know for various reasons, injuries obviously being one of them, it didn't really come together. Um, and so he's off to Vegas now. In fact, it was the first player to ever put on a Vegas Golden Knights jersey and endear himself to the uh, hometown crowd. Yeah, and up until they made that announcement, there was some concern about the Kings possibly losing Trevor Lewis there. I know we talked last episode about how it wouldn't really be a backbreaker for the Kings in any way, but at the same time, you, I think Trevor Lewis is the kind of guy you're happy got, that he's staying Especially versus McNabb. Uh, nothing against Braden McNabb, but I think when you look at our roster, when you look at lines one to four on the offense, and you remove Lewis from the equation, it kind of it looks a little thinner on the bottom six. And you know the Kings' bottom six in the last few years hasn't been very productive. Uh, Lewis has been, I think, by far the most productive player on the bottom six. Uh, especially last season, he had what you would call a career year i guess for a bottom six forward third liner fourth yeah, liner yeah. so in, in that respect i think we we kind of spoke about lewis versus McNabb, and we kind of projected it would be McNabb, and we're kind of glad and I, a lot of kings fans are glad that lewis is staying um let's talk about vegas a bit how about that team huh looking real sharp in their jerseys um nice jerseys that's probably the nicest thing we're going to say about that team today spoiler <laughs> alert um <laughs> They took they took a couple of interesting names though. James Neal obviously is the first one that comes to mind after the face of the franchise, Mark Andre Fleury, and that over the top <laughs> I would call it an over the top reveal of someone that everyone and their mother knew was going to be a Vegas Golden Knight since about oh February I would say. 
they they let him have one good cup run and then booted him to the desert, I suppose. Right, but there was a lot of there was a lot of talk about Flurry being the face of the franchise and things like that. But there are a few good players there. We mentioned Neil, Mark Mathot was a Vegas Golden Knight, but earlier today he got swapped out to Dallas for a second round pick. That actually yeah. happened a few few hours ago of this recording. So there might be more of that already moving forward. And I and I I think that's what makes it difficult to kind of past judgment right now straight up on what the Knights are going to be like next year is because I mean if you look at their roster right now they have like 65 defensemen I think roughly and 12 forwards and there's no telling which one of those players is actually still going to be on the roster come opening night McPhee has said from basically day one that He's planning on trading a bunch of guys. He's planning on picking up picks. And you could see how they did with the entry draft where they had, I think, five picks in the first two rounds, including three in the first round, that he realizes that the way to build this team is going to be through the draft, through the entry draft, not the not necessarily the expansion draft. The expansion draft, he's hoping to get some younger guys who can kind of come in, maybe grow with the team and sprinkle in a few uh, veteran players who can be kind of face of the franchise players. Um you know flower being being i think the key in all of that mostly because he's he's just a really nice marketable guy i mean you could see that he's already been doing press tours in vegas and right. walking around and you know wrote a letter today in the players tribune i think just saying thank you to pittsburgh after all that time that he spent there and i think that those are the types of guys that you want to bring in and have them be representatives of the team to that community um I can tell you as someone who's lived in Vegas that there's there's a lot that's going on there. I know that there's all this talk about um, can they actually support a team? You know, are they going to have enough interest to not just pander to the tourist crowd who's coming around and getting free tickets from the casinos because they lost a crap load of money on the on the tables or something? Um, but can they actually get you know the natives invested? in the team, especially when you know that in a few years, the Raiders are planning on coming around there as well. Um, and I think the way that you do that, because just like a lot of, a lot of, um, Southern or, or Western or even California teams, I think way back when, um, it's a very niche market. There's a few ice rinks in Vegas. Um, and just like the, you know, there are in California, a lot of the people who play there are usually transplants from somewhere else. And then gradually you start generating interest from, from the hometown crowd. Um, and I think that's important is you have these marketable guys who can kind of go out there because let's face it, they're not expecting to make the playoffs right off the bat. I, I know their owner has come out and said some crap about winning a cup within the first six oh, years yeah, or yeah, something for ridiculous. Sure, man. I, um, I think everyone's going to put all their money on Vegas winning the cup. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they'll have tremendous odds, but I mean the payout will be amazing if yeah. that actually happens. Yeah, no, I um, mean looking at that team, everyone they took, and yeah, I understand why they had to take certain players, and I understand the drawing power of a three-time Cup champion and really a likable guy, as you mentioned, just a veteran player who's been there, done that, and they seem like they've taken to him immediately. But when you look at the rest of that roster. And this is now kind of going to the season. It just, you could tell it's going to be a long season for Vegas in terms of on ice. So off the ice, I think they'll be fine. That first year of any new team is kind of like the honeymoon stage where, oh, it's okay, guys. This happened with Winnipeg, right? When they went back, uh, when they went from Atlanta to Winnipeg, the first year, the fans were like, you can do no wrong. 
Yeah, and I and I agree that um, the problem with Vegas is that it's a town that, in order for you to maintain people's interest, you either have to be amazing or you have to keep reinventing yourself. At least that's that's kind of the trend that you see with the casinos, the clubs, the restaurants, the hotels. That's kind of what it comes down to. So it's going to be interesting to see whether they can maintain a constant interest in a team that is going to take some time to come out of the gate and be, you know, a good team. I think initially they're going to draw interest because they're new and shiny, but that's going to get old, obviously, within a season or two. And you're not going to have that hardcore hockey loving following like you have in a place like Winnipeg where they'll they'll tolerate a little bit of losing just because they're so happy to have a team. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. I hope it works out because I, I do love the city and I think there's a lot of just good people who live there and a lot of natives who live there who have needed something like this that isn't transient like a lot of the city is. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see. And you can almost smell that there's going to be another team coming on the horizon because there's no way the NHL is going to have 31 teams for for very long. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, there's been a lot of speculation about that. Seattle is a city that always comes up. Um, that I mean, it makes too much sense. It does. It makes too much sense. It does. For and then, it to not be Seattle. And then there's the whole discussion of well, we might need to move certain teams, and then have an expansion team maybe in the east it's 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 a mishmash of things but i think yeah 32 is the target for the league and i kind of hope they stop there i know better than to think they will and this goes for any sports league i think they're just trying to bank as many teams in as possible at this point the way the way sports is drawing money all across the country and north america really uh, i think 32 is great but i expect them to go further than that with regard to vegas they're gonna have growing pains which we we won't be complaining because we're gonna play them six or seven times a year um and as you mentioned lord knows we need the points uh you mentioned that I on did. twitter i, I thought it was funny <laughs> yeah and I, I it's true it's true i mean you look at that division man and and we can get into it in a little bit but that division is just getting stronger and stronger each day. And it seems like the Kings are kind of, they kind of have a little bit of catching up to do to really make themselves competitive. But anyway, let's, let's switch gears real quick to the NHL draft. Um, a pretty good day. If you're a Kings fan, uh, a pretty exciting day in general, but with the 11th pick, the Kings, I mean, you want to talk about looking out, you want to talk about a gift, Gabriel Velarde of the Windsor Spitfires, number 11 draft pick by the Kings. Uh, he was projected to go in the top five. Uh, I saw him listed as high as number three, and this was about a month out of the draft. It's very, very reminiscent of another pick the Kings had in number 11 in 2005, where another big skater who maybe couldn't skate so well, Sure had a lot of size, had a lot of tools in his game, but oh, skating, and he was from a country no one heard of either. That didn't help his cause either, but it seems very much like the same way we got Andre Kopitar in 2005. Yeah, it's, and it's great to see because I think you and I have talked about this at length is um, one of the big weaknesses for the Kings going forward is that you don't, we didn't have another layer of upcoming centers available we basically have kopitar and carter and carter sometimes he plays center sometimes he's on wing but once those two guys kind of start aging out a bit which carter's 32 kopi's 29 and signed until he's i don't know 70 
something like that. Yeah, he'll be 30 when um, the season starts. Yeah, so he's going to be 30 when the season starts. And already, you know, let's let's hope and pray that last season was just an anomaly and that he's not already starting on the decline. But you expect him to decline probably by like 33, 34. And so I'm glad that the Kings have now drafted a skilled big center because that is a key to winning in this league. And it's nice to have him potentially be able to come in in two or three years while Kobe's kind of drifting out and gradually assume the reins, hopefully, of being number one, number two center that I think, you know, any any NHL team needs to win. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing with Velarde is because he played a lot on the wing this last season, his best season uh, for the Windsor Spitfire. So, he he's one of those versatile players that he's listed as a center but depending on who you listen to what you read some people project him to be a winger so it's a very it's a very interesting case with him i think anyone would agree with me and you would agree with me too i think vardy is that you hope that he's a center first and foremost yeah. and, and that's because you know you don't have to look too far the you know the penguins they won the cup down the middle with strength down the middle, the Kings won the cup with strength down the middle. And you could go on and on about strength down the middle and championships. And for the Kings especially, their center pipeline seems more than most, uh, seems kind of bare. You have Mike Amadio, who looks like a good player, but is he going to be a top six center? Is he going to be that top line guy that's going to carry your team? They're all, you know, it's a wait and see approach with those players. With Velarde, you have the opportunity to really get a legitimate top six center in your system and in my opinion i would if i had a choice in it if i had anything to say about it, i really do hope he pans out to be a center and that's his game especially is built for below the dots he's such a good puck protector he's such a good puck distributor that his game seems like that of a center the first comparison that came up was yarmir yager and i was like that's really wishful thinking with this kid to me when i watched him uh, in his highlights, uh, clips of games, things like that, he reminded me of Jason Allison a lot. And I hope some of our listeners know who that is. That was a while back. <laughs> but Jason Allison was a center for the Kings, the Bruins before. Not a great skater, but man, could he protect the puck and could he pass that puck? And Velarde has a lot of similar similarities to Jason Allison, who, by the way, in his prime was a tremendous, tremendous player. The last three good centers that I can remember, like truly, truly good centers that I can remember the Kings having were Kopitar, Allison, and then Gretzky. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure who else you would throw in there unless no you're There's a big Joseph Stumple fan. For Joseph Stumple, man. It breaks my heart, man. <laughs> it's not right. No, but no, He's you're, you're absolutely seed, right, man. though. If you're talking about what you're talking about is a legitimate number one center. You know, right. those, first of right. all, hard to find right off the bat. Um, and to. To have the opportunity to draft someone that could potentially go there. And this is someone, again, that a lot of teams had him going at number three. A lot of teams had him going lowest number five. So he suddenly, suddenly starts slipping to the Kings. And, you know, the way the Kings kind of went up there and they were just smart. You knew they were going to take him. And it was very, yeah, they, they all, very <laughs> reminiscent. They to just when, had a very sheepish look on yeah. his face. <laughs> like, and I remember really? in two, and, I, and it's funny because in two thousand five, when when Dave Taylor went up to the podium, he had that same look on his face. Like, really, is this what's <laughs> happening? And 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 so hopefully it turns out uh, to be just as good a pick as Kopitar, obviously. But 
you know, I hate to give a grade to be all oh, the Kings won that draft. Their winner is coming out of the draft because with these kids, you never really know. Right. But early returns, I guess, is that the Kings really stole a good player there. So good for them. Uh, good for us too, I hope. Good for Gabe Velarde yes. because his game actually, if I were to say his game fits a team, it seems like it fits the current Kings system structure and all that a lot of puck protection uh a lot of board play taking it to the middle so hopefully that one works out yeah yeah and i i agree with you i mean i remember when when you and i were watching it and as he was slowly slipping and slowly sipping and then it was down to florida and us and florida took uh owen tippet um i mean it was it was he's tailor-made he's tailor-made for this team just the way he plays the you know how he approaches the game, how he approaches puck handling, how he approaches just everything. It just, it just screams that this is someone who's going to work really, really well in the system. And all you hope for is that the development process works well and he achieves his potential because quite frankly, we don't have anyone else in the system who realistically has that level of potential to be, a top line center, a top line wing. If that's what he ends up playing, there's just no one else. You mentioned Mike Amadio. Great. If he makes it awesome, but no one is counting on him being that guy. Now we finally have a guy who could slot into that role in a few years and, and we'll see. Hopefully so. Yeah. And, and we mentioned how desperately the Kings needed someone like that. And that's why you and I, in our conversation, even on the podcast, we mentioned the Kings have to pick at 11. The Kings have to absolutely pick it. And imagine if they had traded that pick, you know, because obviously you you can no one would ever predict Gabriel Velarde is going to drop to 11. And had they moved that pick and to whoever and that other team walks up to the podium with that same look on their face and they draft this kid, you're going to be pretty upset about moving that pick, obviously, depending on the return you got. But needing young players in the pipeline, I think we can all be thankful the Kings didn't move that pick, especially if it was going to be for a short-term fix. Yeah, and actually, Mark and Eddie mentioned that as he started dropping, I think as he started going from like five to six to seven, and it became, you know, a possibility that the Kings could get him, they started making phone calls to try and actually trade up. Right. That was They were actually looking to move up for the purpose of taking him because they weren't expecting him to even be around at like seven or eight. And no one was looking to make any trades, which is kind of how this entire draft went is that, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, during the draft, granted, there was a lot of trades beforehand, obviously, otherwise Vegas wouldn't have had three picks. But like during the draft, the only trade I remember happening in the first round was all the way back when Chicago was like a 26 or something ended up trading down a couple picks and then one more when st louis traded into to the first round to get the 31st pick right but again so that, was, you, that wasn't even a that wasn't even i'll give you two picks for one kind of scenario there was a player yeah, involved yeah. in years past it's always been so much movement especially with the kings i lombardi historically loves to package two picks and get one and move up a little bit and i yanetti yeah you're right he mentioned that velardi was at the top of their list even even before the draft started and and they just couldn't believe that he was he was slipping and yeah they they did try to move up but it was funny no one in the first round wanted to move no one wanted to move down no one wanted to move up it's like they had a player in mind and they were going to take that player which is odd because all we heard is like oh it's a weak draft there are no superstars in this draft they're all kind of project things like that and yet no one wants to budge because they have this target in mind and they're going to 
take that kid with that pick. I, I think I think maybe it kind of worked in reverse where because it was a weaker draft, because people almost had to go a little bit on gut feeling with some of these guys more so than just thinking, well, if I trade down, there'll still be someone else who I feel like is a good enough player. So I think a lot of teams probably had only a handful of guys, maybe two or three guys that they really, really wanted. Yeah. And so that's probably why they weren't as willing to trade is because this is the guy we want. We don't even want to bother potentially taking someone else for exchange for getting bigger, you know, extra picks or anything. So that's probably, I mean, that's a possibility, I suppose. And that kind of carries over to the second round too, I guess, like um, with them getting Anderson Dolan again, another guy that arguably probably slipped a bit more than anyone thought. And the Kings took him and anything I, I read about this kid is just rave reviews. Not even just that he's a great skater or anything. He's just a hardworking guy. First one in last one out kind of guy. And it's just crazy to me that there was some discussion that maybe the reason why he slipped to the Kings is because of the whole background that he's, that he's got two moms right, Some right. that somehow that that affects him in some way. I mean, there's plenty of people who have a mom and a dad and are terrible hockey players. So <laughs> I, I don't know why having two moms yeah. all of a sudden is automatically going to make you not pan out at the NHL level. If that was actually some reason why I really hope slipped. it wasn't I, because that is just I, I a so sad too, state of I mean, affairs for, for people who still work in hockey. I mean, yeah, it's still called the old boys club at times, but we cannot possibly think that they're that, you know, short-sighted and that narrow-minded, really. I mean, that's that's so silly. If, if that is really a reason why they didn't take that player, then that's just stupid. Because you know what? I When I was, again, researching these picks, he was... Some people had him in the first round, late first round. Yeah. He, there was a couple yeah. of lists that had him, oh, you know, he might sneak into the first round. He's got the tools. He's got the character to be a first-round pick. So, you know, what made him drop? And no one's really ever going to come out and say what made him drop, obviously. But if again, if it is that, then hockey still has a long way to go, unfortunately. I mean, you know that there's there's people like that, unfortunately. Like, they might not come out and say anything. I'm sure Don Cherry was sitting somewhere <laughs> grumbling in a, in a fancy suit about... <laughs> About how he's not a good old boy and how could he possibly know if he's never had hey, a game you know, whatever. Mike Milbury would have drafted him. <laughs> Probably not, but that's okay. That's okay. But it's fine. It's fine. And again, if you can think of like a situation that really, really works out for a player, you know, he grew up in a very tolerant household. Um, he, he said it himself. I mean, um, the Seattle area that he grew up was, you know, um, very diverse. And he grew up around, you know, people of all races, creeds, colors, and uh, sexual orientation. And I mean, if you have to think somewhere on the map of NHL teams, you know, which, which team would be a good fit for someone with that kind of a background and that kind of family to feel <laughs> yeah. welcome, you'd have to think Los Angeles would be, would be one of those teams. So good on him. I hope it works out. I hope he pans out as well. Cause he's another, um, skilled speedy skater, which obviously the Kings are, are very much lacking. Absolutely. Uh, really excited about getting those two players, Gabe Velarde and Jared Anderson Nolan, out of that draft. Um, to me, right at you look at those first two rounds. I don't think I don't think the Kings could have asked for anything better. You know, in terms of the players they likely targeted and the players they ended up getting. So good draft for the Kings. Got important players moving forward, but there was a lot of other things going on around the draft. Uh, Vardy. 
a lot of moves actually you know nothing relating to the kings per se but arizona especially was a team that had all kinds of crap going on <laughs> right before the draft the day of the draft and the day after the draft i believe uh starting right up at the top was shane doan uh not returning to the coyotes it was a club decision uh, I believe the very next day, Dave Tippett's not returning to the Coyotes. Again, club decision. They say it's mutual, but let's be honest here. That was a club decision. We could kind of read between the lines. And then they pick up Stepan and Ronta from the Rangers. They pick up Jalmerson from the Blackhawks. And all of a sudden, it does not look like your Pappy's Coyotes anymore, as they say. So it's a whole new kind of refresh for Arizona. Yeah, I think there was a point I, I was reading something just before the draft started, just before the, the Stepan and Ronta trade went down, where someone had posted that the Coyotes, as of right now, do not have a coach, do not have a captain, do not have a goaltender. I don't think they had a president. Yeah. <laughs> it was just it was the most ridiculous thing I had ever seen. And they basically, were going into a draft. And- basically, that's better than not having an owner, which is what they used to have years <laughs> ago. So they're always missing something in the desert. So in that sense, the Coyotes are getting better. Um, what was, what was really interesting to me is that they waited this long to make these moves. You know, it was very clear that you were not going to be in the playoffs and I don't know why you wait until a day before the draft to let go of your head coach. I can understand maybe with Doan, you were trying to work out a game plan, think about how you're going to approach this guy who's played his entire career with this team and think about you know what kind of a fruit basket you're going to get them or whatever to kind of ease things over i don't understand why you wait until the day before the draft to fire head coach you know yeah i have to believe that this is something that that john chica their gm had been thinking about for a while because clearly the performance on ice was was not what he wanted it to be and that's not a knock against dave tippett i think dave tippett's a hell of a coach um Quite frankly, I, I maybe maybe kind of wish in some ways that they they had fired him earlier so that he might have been considered for the Kings vacancy. Not that I don't think John Stevens is going to do a great job, but you know, Tippett's a good coach, just in a bad situation yeah, where the team is falling think, apart in so many ways. I think I don't know. I don't know how different he is than Daryl Sutter. Really, I mean, I'm sure there's differences, obviously, but I don't think. The system he brings is very reminiscent of what Daryl did. Which, by the way, I don't know that John Stevens is going to do much different. We hear about it, but I I won't know until maybe the first week of the season where I could really tell you if anything's really changed. Um, but to me, with the Coyotes, it's it seemed like there was a systematic internal issue going on there. You know, Chike is such a young GM, and, and by all accounts, a sharp sharp guy and, and a good GM and all that. But I think there might have been real philosophical issues there. Uh, differences between especially Tippett and and Chaika and and maybe even you know the dismissal of Shane Doan from the team might have had something to do with it you know Tippett's kind of an old school guy so that might have rubbed him the wrong way and then maybe you know moves were made without his not his consent but without his input you know when you look at the Coyotes all things put aside I think they're actually a better team than they were uh before yeah. the draft oh, I, yeah. I really I, do i think i think he's made some sharp moves chica has and their defense looks solid now you know they're that i think they have a goaltender that's at least equal to mike smith uh with his play last season and, and really his play the last two seasons has been pretty sharp so you know i think overall especially the additions of, of Stepan, yeah, i think they're a better team yeah i agree with you i agree with you as much as i hate to admit it um 
because we were already having enough trouble beating them last year with the roster that we they had. We always have trouble we beating the Coyotes. I know. And I'll never, never understand it. But yeah, go on. No, but it, it's, it's just, it's aggravating now because he, I hate to see the Pacific getting better and the Kings kind of staying stagnant. And I get it that it's, it's not even July 1st yet. And, you know, there's still free agency. There's still moves to be made. I get, I, I, I'm not saying that we're going to have the same roster opening night as we do now, but I'm just looking around at the other teams, looking at Phoenix getting better. Do I think they're a playoff team? I don't know. I don't know about that. They're probably bubble at least. Yeah. Um, but Calgary, Calgary, geez, Calgary, man, that as defense, if, huh? as if they weren't a thorn in our side already the last two seasons. Now that defense is just insane. I don't know if they just saw the predators play and said, Hey, we should get more defensemen. They seem to be doing a good job. And I really, mean, they already had not just the predators, the ducks too. If you look at who represented right. the West in the Western conference final, you have two teams that are four deep, at least, and and a, a very good top four on both those teams, and it's not. It doesn't surprise me that Calgary looks at that and said, "You know what? We need to solidify the top four with in that four spot." And they go out and get Travis Hamonic. Um, the initial ask, from what I heard, for Hamonic, uh, the Islanders wanted two firsts. That didn't work out for them, obviously. But they, you know what? They got pretty close. They got a first and two seconds. Uh, Hamonic's young enough. He's a good player. He's He's got grit to his game, and he can move the puck. So he's got he's got tools, really, to be a top four defenseman. I would say on any team, uh, barring a few teams like Nashville and Anaheim, we mentioned, he's the type of player that I think slips into the top four of a lot of teams. And good on Calgary going out and getting him. Um, they got their goalie too now in Mike Smith. So from the net out, all of a sudden, you know, look out. The Flames are are a deep team, and like you said about the Pacific. There are a lot of deep teams in the Pacific now. Edmonton, Calgary, Anaheim, San Jose's been deep for years. So really, with the Kings' inactivity, uh, and I don't want to say that in a negative way, but them kind of being par for the course so far, it kind of makes you a little (laughs) nervous about the Pacific Division moving forward. Yeah, it does, because especially if you look at the UFA market, I mean, who who are you really looking at as a UFA come July 1st that's going to come into this team and truly make a difference? And I know I know last episode you and I talked about um, the potential of trading one of Martinez or Muzzin for, for the sake of bringing in the top line left wing, because that was really the only chip that we had to trade. Yep. But now you look at a team like Calgary loading up with you know, a legitimate top four. Yep. You look at Anaheim still having their top four. You look at Phoenix, you know, becoming a better team, bringing in Yarmerson to play with Ekman Larson. Um, and obviously they have, God, his name is it Chitron? <laughs> I can't, he's got yeah, so many vowels. Chick- Chikrin, Chikrin. Jacob Chitron? Yeah, former King Chikrin. Jeff Chikrin's okay, son. Chikrin. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, it's a hard name. <laughs> it's a very hard name. I mean, it's actually hard to spell than pronounce, which is <laughs> saying something, yeah. I'm sorry, it's it all is. consonants. It is, it's all consonants. It's all, it is. It's all yeah. consonants. It's not a single vowel in the kid's name. <laughs> But you look at you look at those teams that are getting better. I would actually argue that San Jose's gotten worse because they still haven't re-signed Thornton, and, and the rumor is that every team is basically trying to recruit him. Marlowe, who I think scored twenty-five or thirty for them last season, still haven't re-signed him, and they're working on trying to figure out what they're going to do with him. I mean, they, they're they're getting worse by virtue of the fact that everyone else around them is getting better, and it's a very similar situation with the Kings. Um, 
And so I, I don't know where you go from here because now, now you can't reasonably, in my mind, trade Martinez or Muzzin because you're going to constantly play against these teams that have four legitimate defensemen. And if you get rid of one of Martinez or Muzzin, you're down to Dowdy, Forbert, and one of Martinez or Muzzin, and then three rookies. And you just you just can't do that and expect right. – team to do well and then and then the other complicating factor going back to calgary just for a second is mike smith's puck handling especially with that defense and how their offense functions with guys like uh, goudreau in there it's like you just there's so much movement of the puck like any one of those guys on the back end can move that puck up and just start a breakout and it's crazy so you need some good skating defensemen and and i think i don't know what you do against that i think what you i mean I'm not advocating for this, but if they do end up, you know, moving Muzzin or Martinez for a winger, then you're kind of forced to dip into the UFA market. And maybe you're forced to overpay for a defenseman that you don't want to really overpay for. And that's that's just the nature of the beast because you, let's say hypothetically, Muzzin's the guy that goes, you get a winger you want, great. Offense looks good now all of a sudden. Then you look at that back and you're like, okay, I got a hole here to fill. And before you know it, you end up, paying carl Alsner like seven million a year for six years i know that's a little much but you don't want you want to avoid situations like that and i think that's kind of what now makes it difficult for the kings is that boy maybe a week ago you were okay with moving alec martinez for a player maybe you're okay with moving jake muslin for a player but after these moves after you see arizona's defense looking better after you see calgary's defense looking better you have to really maybe take a step back and really look at the big picture there, which is unfortunate in the sense that it might keep the Kings from bolstering their offense, but at the same time, it might be the prudent thing to do. Even though I think you look at that offense, I just don't see any scenario where Blake goes into the season with the same offense. It would just, to me, from everything that happened, there was dismissals of the GM, firings. I don't see how you can go in to September into training camp with that team exactly the same way it is. Right. When, when your major, when, when the first thing you said when you came out was we need to score more goals and clearly offense was the weaker part of your team. I mean, with, with the defense that we had last season, we were still a top 10 defensive team. And that was with, um, that was with, um, Budai and net for most of the season. Um, and he played, fantastic yeah but Vardy but, you have to remember that Budai is just as good as quick <laughs> I often forget <laughs> I, I often forget and that that's just a sidebar that's just a comment the ridiculous stuff I heard last season from Kings fans and I don't mean to brag on Kings fans at all but come on guys <laughs> you know you don't don't tell me watching Peter Budai allow you know 40 foot wrist shots from the boards that he's the same thing as Jonathan Quick. Yes, he, he played well, admirably. He he filled in quite nicely. But, you know, when people told me last season that goaltending was a non-factor and why the Kings were struggling, it just upset me very much. And, and I just had to get that dig in there. He got mad at me too, guys, so don't feel too bad. I told him the same thing sometimes. And, and having Quick in there obviously is going to make a difference. Having Quick healthy for a full season hopefully is going to make a difference. I would almost argue that the moves that Calgary and Phoenix made, or Arizona, I should say, made, almost forces you to 
chase after Alsner or someone like that, regardless of if you trade Martinez or Muzzin, almost on top of it, because then you really get a legitimate top four, and then that maybe bumps, I don't know, Forbert or Gravel and and uh, Ledoux to tier six, seven, and then I guess Oscar Fattenberg too, who who they signed to come in and basically with the hopes of making the roster. Yeah, well, um, based who, from on the contract that he signed. And everything I read, it, it seems like he has a pretty decent shot, by the way, of making that right, team. Right, but I don't, as, I don't think they're expecting him to be a top four. No, guy. no, he'll be a five six, but you know, potentially that gives you room to to slot someone else in your top four that maybe deserves to be moved up there. So it's I don't know. It's it's a tough situation, and there's just not a lot of options out there on the UFA market when it comes to actual wingers to to pick up. Um, and so you have to look into a trade. I mean, people can talk about like, oh, you know, Radulov's there. Why do they go after? Oh, you don't. It's, you it's, don't want that. Yeah. You know, first of all, he's realistically. Ask, yeah. First of all, he's asking seven mil a year, and this is verified people saying this. Pierre LeBron said it. I think Bob McKenzie said it. Darren Drager, all the big names, you know, in hockey reporting. He wants six years at seven million a year. That is, he's not going to sign for that. Let me just say that right away. Whoever signs him, that will. I guarantee you that's not going to be the contract that's signed. But still, I don't think he's the type of player you go out there and, and you throw all this money at. Rob Blake did a great job signing Toffoli and Pearson to sweetheart deals, really, even though in Toffoli's case, you know, he's going to be a UFA in three years at a very opportune time for him. You know, Pearson, is that isn't so much of a concern with him. But regardless, sweetheart deals, you have all this cap space. The last thing you want to do is answer with... Alexander Radulov at like six times six or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, if I can, if I can just segue a little bit into just make a small comment about the the deals that Blake signed uh, Pearson and Toffoli to. It's actually really great if you look at it because in two years, uh, Dowdy's a UFA and they're absolutely going to break the bank for him. In three years, Toffoli's a UFA. In four years, Pearson's a UFA. So if you really look at the guys who you think are going to be the ones that you're going to have to pay truly over the next four to five seasons, they actually have done a pretty impressive job spacing them out. So you can have a better sense of how much anyone's going to make. And you're not in this situation like they were this year where they had to pay both to Foley and Pearson and try to work them both into the cap scenario, which thankfully has kind of worked out for us because they bumped the cap up to 75 million. And now it seems like everyone has cap space and it's just crazy. Yeah. Which is great. Like you said, luckily for us, because the Kings literally went from, I don't think we can add a single player to this roster to, hey, you know what? We could sign everyone we have and add a piece to the roster, you know? So what a difference. You know, a lot of a lot of fan bases were like, oh, 73 to 75, that's nothing. Well, to the Kings, it's everything because every single every single dollar dollar matters when you're coming off Stanley Cup winning years and you're trying to hold on to your players and all that stuff that we covered last episode. So to see the cap go up by two million, hey, you know what? We'll take it all day, every day. And I'm sure Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille had a very awkward high five when that happened. So <laughs> Luke went in for a hug. Rob wanted a handshake. It just yeah. became this weird hug hop thing. Right, right. Which Luke's a big hugger. If you remember from his playing days, he <laughs> he would hug a fourth line grinder like, <laughs> like like he just assisted on his 500th goal every single goal. So. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. I'm gonna make you play devil's advocate a bit. Okay. Say that the Kings had to sign a UFA to to fill in that winger spot. A winger. All, yeah. 
murder center, what what have you, okay. to help the offense. Okay. And they had to sign a UFA because the trade market just isn't there or they don't have anything to trade for one of those guys like we talked about for, for reasons. Who would you bring in? Um, reasonably. Reasonably. You again, you can't no, just no, say no. rattle off because it's like, okay, that's not going to happen. But like so from reasonably every- someone who you think the Kings could bring in. And this is strictly an unrestricted free agent. UFA. UFA. Um, I would probably look at Nick Bonino, okay. who's going to be a UFA from Pittsburgh. And the reason I say Nick Bonino, and Dennis Bernstein has brought his name up a lot too, so you guys might have heard that name before from a King source or something like that. But to me, Nick Bonino, first of all, he's a playoff performer. I don't think he's going to want too much money cap-wise. Uh, and what it does is he's the type of center that goes 2C, 3C, depending on how you slot him, depending on where his game is, maybe that month or that you know that game, something like that. But to me, he's versatile enough where he goes 2C, 3C. And if he does go 2C, you could ideally move Carter up to the wing um, to play with Kopitar, the winger for Kopitar. You know, we talked about this last episode. I don't see anyone better that, or I don't see any scenario where you bring in someone that's going to be better than Jeff Carter. You know, especially their games, they all they seem to mesh. I don't think they've really played with each other. That's the crazy thing. They've had some PP time together. Obviously, they're on the first power play unit. They have been for years. But in a five-on-five situation, I think I've rarely seen them play with one another. There's been times where I remember Sutter threw them up there. They needed a goal, something like that. But to me, I think if I if the Kings can't find a winger in UFA, I think you sign a center. Nick Bonino's the guy. I think I would go for. Okay. What about you? I'm going to I'm going to have to flip it back to you. You know this. You know it's crazy. I would have never even thought that this would have been possible, but again to to bring up Dennis Bernstein again, Thornton's name keeps coming up. Yep, Joe Thornton's that. name keeps coming up. And I feel like in the there's no way. I just feel like there's just no absolute way that he would consider playing for the Kings, especially when every other team is coming and knocking, but even at 37, the guy still seems like he's got the exact same game still putting up points still setting up guys i mean immediately makes your power play better immediately you have a 2c he doesn't have to play first line center minutes obviously and i don't know i mean that would i guess that would be who i would who i would consider because really just anything else on offense like i don't know marlo i guess is still putting up numbers but he if is. I had to pick one of the two, I would go Thornton over Marlowe any day. Um, you brought up Benino. I think that's that's fair. Um, oh, my God. Vanek. Ugh. No. There's a, there's a time no, where no, Thomas no, Vanek no, no, would have no. been desirable. <laughs> no. Now that frightens me because you know, he actually is say, a left winger. Yeah, people say Vanek's name has come up with the Kings before, whether it be in free agency or a trade deadline, stuff like that. And, and, and the line was, well, Thomas Vanek isn't a Dean Lombardi player. I'm here to say that Thomas Vanek shouldn't be any GM's type of player because he has the tools, man. He has the skills. We've seen him ever since he played for the Golden Gophers. This, this guy's been a great offensive player when he feels like it. The problem is he doesn't feel like it most of the time. So you want to talk about character, the type of team you've built, uh, the type of tradition you've instilled, the culture? No. Thomas Vanek, and even maybe to a lesser degree, Radulov, I don't think those are the type of guys – you're going to go out and pay. And that's why I kind of brought up Nick Bonino. And I think Joe Thornton is right along the lines of that is guys who, you know, care about winning. They've shown it. Uh, they've proven it. And 
they have won. Obviously, Thorne's still chasing that cup, but Thorne's won on other international levels. Bonino's won cups. Right. So to me, that stuff is still very important for the Kings. Uh, people say they might be out of their cup window, the window's closing, things like that. But I still think you need to bring in certain type of players, character players, players that really want to win and to a certain degree have won already. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I don't think I have any argument with that whatsoever because we talked about this last episode is that the Kings have been missing that. They've been missing that core, that something to rally around, those, those leaders. And if you're really talking about a sea change, a cultural sea change, you know, everything I've, I've – and I know Thornton has this reputation from back when he was in Boston that no one's ever going to win with Joe Thornton playing. And it's like – So dumb. Everything I've seen from this guy since he's been in San Jose is that he's just a good guy, bonds with the team, bonds with the community, and just plays well. And You know, you know who else you can't win with up until a couple of years ago? Phil Kessel. That's that, right. That was something we constantly heard. Can't win with Phil. You know, Phil's not a winner. He's just a one-dimensional goal scorer. But guess what? You put him in the right situation with the right ro- roster, with the right coach, I guess miracles can happen, and Phil Kessel is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. And I, w- I, I would love that dimension hate, on the Kings I right now. I hate those narratives. <laughs> Give me that dimension on the Kings any day, please. Which is kind of why I wanted Owen Tippett, by the way, to go way off tangent back to where we started. I did want Owen Tippett in that draft, but when Florida took him at 10 and I realized we are probably going to draft Gabe Velarde, um, I was okay with it. I, I, had a, I had a small moment of fear that they were going to get up there and, and pull off a Thomas Hickey moment. Just completely, <laughs> just completely blindside. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a legit fear uh, when you're yeah. a Kings fan. Legitimate fear always. Um, so, yes, that's pretty much uh, looking at free agency and stuff. That's pretty much it. I mean, the Kings, I guess the question is, Vardy, will the Kings do anything? And if the Kings do anything, I want you to give me your best prediction at the one move they make, whether it be a trade, uh, whether it be a signing on free agent frenzy day. I, I still, in my heart of hearts, given everything that I have seen and heard them discuss, and again, looking at the fact that they were a top 10 defensive team last season, even with the roster and the goaltending that they had at times, mind you... Um, there was there was a, a period of time I think around December January where between Budai and um, I'm blanking on the backups name Jeff right now. Zadkoff. Uh, oh, good old Jeff Zadkoff. Between Budai and Jeff Zadkoff, I think they were posting up like a .85 save percentage for like six games straight. It was insane. Everything they were they were they, they, they were trying to stop was going in. So even with that period of time where everything was going in and the safe percentage was horrible and playing guys like Gravel, Ledoux, Forbert having their first full NHL season, they were still a top 10 defense. Now, mind you, Jake Muzzin, I think, was a minus 24, 25, something like that last mm-hmm, season. Mm-hmm. Um, as was Martinez. Again, a lot of pe- as was Martinez. So, so there you go. The guys that you're talking about being two of your top three defensemen um, – had horrible plus minuses, could not play together worth a damn. And we still somehow managed to have a, like a top 10 defensive. So I think even though I I did bring up the point that now with Calgary, having the defense that they have, that you maybe don't want to move Muzzin or Martinez. I think the Kings look at how they played last year, 
They look at the possibility of Forbert having a second season, Badu Gravel playing better, maybe even bringing in someone from a UFA market if need be. And uh, I don't know what their opinion on Vandenberg is, but apparently they want to give him a legitimate shot to play. I think they still um, use either Muzzin or Martinez as a trade chip. And I think they go... I think they go ham and they go after one of Duchesne or Landeskog because I think you can also stand to lose one of those guys to Colorado and not feel like it's it's biting you in the ass later on. You know, you trade Muzzin or Martinez to Colorado. They play on Colorado for four or five seasons. Colorado is so far from being a legitimately competitive team anyway, especially more so if they actually move one of Duchesne or Landeskog. That... I think that's a risky trade that you're not that worried about making yep. because of the advantage that that would bring your team, especially if you bring in a guy like Landis Cog, who's got four or five years still left on his deal is 24 years old and could very legitimately be part of your core going forward. If you're trying to bring in younger guys, because as we mentioned, Kopitar Carter, especially God bless them. They're doing fantastic, but they are going to start aging just like you're seeing with Brown and, and Gabrick, and those are deals that we can't seem to get out from under. So I think, I think in my heart of hearts, that's the deal they're gonna that they're gonna try and get is one of Duchesne or Landis Cog, um, and then I guess the possibility of getting Evander Kane is still there. But I really don't think they want someone who's just gonna be around for a year and then be a UFA. Right, right. No, and uh, I guess I'm. It's only fair that I give my own answer to that and i'm gonna stick with you vardy i'm going muzzin plus adrian kempe for gabriel landeskog i think that's again i'm just i'm giving a very specific guess it would hurt to lose kempe just because i like his game so much he showed me a lot as 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 a 19 year old 20 year old he showed me a lot i would hate to lose him but i think you got to pay to get a player like Gabriel Landeskog. So that's I'm sticking with that. Muzzin Kempe for Landeskog is my prediction, and I Man, will probably be wrong. Probably. <laughs> Only because I feel like this is, and this is the problem, is we don't operate in a bubble. You know, it's not like there's just two teams. It's just the Kings and the Avalanche and no one else around. Sure, sure. There's so many other teams who are, who are privy to these same trade possibilities who could afford to give up a little bit more because they're in a better position to win than I think the Kings are right now. I mean, you look at, you look at the trade that Calgary made to get Hamannick, right? If the Kings made a trade like that to bring in a winger, it would absolutely cripple them. I mean, there's just so much to give up for this team when you have nothing in your pipeline. But if you're Calgary and you have guys like Monaghan and Goudreau and you're, you're set. You're good for the next four or five years. So you can afford to give up a few picks to bring in a guy like Hamannick if you think that's what's going to put you over the top and put you in a position where you can make a cup run. And, I mean, it wasn't too long ago that the Kings did the exact same thing with bringing in Carter, with bringing in Gabrick, and it worked out for them. But it's it's hard to maintain that. And you even see that with the Blackhawks. I mean, you look at what, what, the, what happened to the Blackhawks. Oh, we didn't even over- talk about that trade. No, I mean, I mean, Yarmerson came from the Blackhawks, obviously, but then you look at them getting rid of Panarin and trying to bring back Saad, who, you know, was a great player for them. Panarin was probably better, 
but they're doing it simply so they can save a little money two years down the line because this is what's happened to them. Their cup teams have been completely dismantled to the point where there's just four guys left, I think, who are on that team. Granted, right. they're the four probably most important guys. Yeah. Um, but Well, five, I guess, if you're counting Crawford, but he wasn't around for the first one. But anyway, my point is that like they still have these four or five guys, and they have had to dismantle so much of the rest of their team that was a key to them winning those cups that now you don't know where they stand. And I think them getting swept by the predators, whether that was just a one-off thing or whether that's, you know, the first, the first cracks kind of showing in the perfect picture that was the Chicago Blackhawks for the last six to eight years, you don't know. And at the same time, if I'm Chicago with my roster right now and I'm looking at Calgary and what they've done, yeah, I'm scared to play that team in the in the playoffs because they're young, they're hungry, and they're stacked. And I think that's why the Kings can't stand Pat. I think we covered this again with the division. And that's why I think the Kings are going to go out and make a trade because really, that's the move right now. When you look at the Kings, that's the move that makes the most sense, moving a defenseman because they are the highest value pieces, maybe adding a Kempe, maybe adding futures to it and getting a winger. I don't see it in free agency. We talked about how it's very limited on the wings in free agency. It's really very limited all over the place. So right. to me, that's the move. If you want to change this team, you got to make that trade. You got to cut the cord with a really good defenseman in Jake Muzzin, maybe to a lesser degree, Alec Martinez, and you got to bring in a winger to play with Andre Kopitar, who you're paying much like Kaze, much like Taves and Kane, $10 million a year. He's the guy. He's your guy. He's the captain. He is your priority, so that's that's where we stand on that, guys. And yeah, I, I and I think that about covers it. I mean, I don't know. It's it's been it, it was bananas for a week there, but I mean, the Kings just didn't do a whole heck of a lot beyond giving up McNabb and taking their players. And so now we wait to see if anything happens in the UFA market. And by next episode, we'll have some news. Maybe there'll be trades. Maybe there'll be signings. Maybe there'll be nothing again. And then we'll just, you know, chat. It'll be nice. Yeah, we could just talk about Adidas jerseys next episode if nothing happens. Perfect. Until next time, guys, we are the Bannermen. Next episode will be after Free Agent Frenzy. And hopefully we'll have something to report. And hopefully we can talk about the Kings instead of every other team in the league. But for now, Vardy, any closing comments? No. No, I'm good. All right, guys, this has been the Bannerman episode two. We'll catch you next time. Follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman pod. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and all your favorite podcatchers. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. And visit our website, bannermanpodcast.com. So you can listen on SoundCloud. You can get us on iTunes. We're all set up, guys. We're everywhere.